Welcome to the Dogwood Podcast, a presentation of Dogwood Church. For more information, visit dogwood.church. Join us now as Pastor Keith shares today's message. Great to see you all. Uh, Eli Rose did a great job reading the scriptures and he took us to the place where we're going to be today. If you've got your Bibles, and I hope you do, we use them every week, uh, hard copy or a digital copy, turn to Matthew chapter 6. Uh, we uh, kind of spread the word that we're uh, talking about worry today. And uh, so let me, let me start out by clarifying what I'm not going to describe today. I'm not going to deal with the issue of, uh, uh, of anxiety attacks or, uh, or anxiety disorders. Uh, I am a, I am, these are layman's terms, but my brothers and sisters in our church family who suffer from those describe this as uh, being blindsided by overwhelming feelings of anxiety or maybe even panic when there's no reason necessarily. Um, so we're not going to deal with that. That's a, that's a bigger issue or a different issue altogether that's all bound up with what's going on in our, uh, our being, our bodies, uh, and, and uh, uh, you know, our, our minds, our wills, our emotions, our bodies. Uh, this, so that's, a, that's another issue. In fact, Jesus doesn't start there when he talks about uh, the... Uh, the issue of worry, he actually starts with what is common to every human being, and that's being overly anxious about our daily bread needs. You know, in Matthew chapter 6, just a couple of weeks ago, when we studied the Lord's Prayer or the model prayer or the Our Father, Jesus taught us as part of our praying to pray for our, give us this day our daily bread. And what he means by that is the basic necessities of life. Enough food to eat, enough water to drink, enough clothing, uh, enough shelter to keep us alive. Every human being has a tendency to focus on those things. And um, we could call that, uh, some call that an ambition. Uh, An ambition is, to have ambition is to be focused on or are captured by or in or maybe even um, engrossed in a particular concern it doesn't say anything about the uh, the the um, uh, morality of the concern or the goodness or the badness of a concern an ambition can either be a good ambition or a bad ambition a moral or an immoral ambition it could be a godly or an ungodly it could be a helpful ambition or it could be an unhelpful even a harmful Ambition. So all human beings are seekers. Uh, we're all seeking something. Seeking. Uh, let's let's use the term heat-seeking missile. You know, it's a, it's that we zero in on things that are, and we can get really focused on something or someone. We're all aiming for something. That's a pretty good modern definition of ambition. We all have ambitions. Uh, all strong desires could be described as an ambition. Uh, And and so a a person's ambition, you have an ambition, I have an ambition. A person's ambition is what what directs them. It's what drives them. It's what moves them. It's, It's what makes them tick. It's what makes 
uh, a woman tick. It's what makes a man tick. It's, it's what we focus on. Well, in this passage that we're going to examine in the Sermon on the Mount today, we find that Jesus says that tells us that human beings pretty much can be divided between one of two major ambitions and that pretty much everyone on the planet is, uh, has as their ultimate ambition one of these two things that he is describing. Now remember, in the Sermon on the Mount found in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, the Lord Jesus is addressing primarily His disciples, people who have already decided to follow Him. And He, he tells us how one enters the kingdom of heaven what it means to be a citizen of heaven, the benefits of it, the responsibilities of it, and, and what, what He will do with, in and through those of us who are citizens of the kingdom of heaven while we're still here on earth. Now, for those of you in the, in the crowd who are here uh, examining the claims of Christ, you're not yet a Christian, you're not yet a follower of Jesus, and you're examining these things, uh, which, again, our church exists in part for you. Uh, this is another one of those passages that we find in the Bible that allows you to pull back the curtain and look over into the kingdom of heaven, the family of God, to discover and answer the question, so if I commit myself to Jesus, what will He do to me? Now that's, you know, that's a legitimate question. So if I commit my life to Christ, is because I've known some Christians and some of them were like, mm, and is he going to make me like that? You know, and so he, but no, what we find is what he's really going to do to you, what he's going to make you to be, how he's going to cause you to live, and the demands that he has on us, lifestyle expectations, morally and ethically, uh, while we live here on earth in, in dual citizenship. And so, uh, here he deals with the issue of the ambition of those who are in the family of God. Now, first of all, he says that we may have as our ambition, one, our, our own security. Our own security and being obsessed with or focused on primarily uh, the, the daily bread needs of our life, our, uh, the basic necessities of life. And if we do become so, then... He says that there's a consequence, there's a natural result, and it is this, that we will tend to be plagued by worry or anxiety or fears. Second, we may have another ambition, and our ambition may be that of being um, that of God and His purposes and being rightly related to Him as our ambition, our highest priority. And there's a consequence there, he says, resulting in our security our sense of security even in an uncertain uncertain world. Now, he, he starts out by commanding us not to worry about our daily bread, the basic necessities of life. I got some correspondence this week from some of you in our church family uh, saying, I've always understood that it, worry is a sin. And I have said that to you some in the past 30 years, but a few years back I brought, came with a, uh, uh, a retraction of that belief. I don't believe that worry, and it, nor is it being presented so much here as a sin, as it is a consequence of some, something that happens to us when we don't rightly understand 
God the Father, Jesus God the Son, and how to relate to Him and how we can trust Him. It's something that happens to us. Because, you know, Sean, I don't know about you, but most all my sins, I, I choose them. I decide. I, anybody else? I mean, I say, yep, I'm, I'm deciding to think or say or do that. You know, that, I'm intentional about that. I'm a sinner. I'm not a mistaker. Yeah. So uh, I have never met one person who chose to worry. Anybody here? If so, we need to talk to you. Because I don't know anybody that wants to worry. And so, uh, he, he, but he says here, don't worry about your daily bread. Look at verse 25. It's on the screen. This is why I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? He's a asks a rhetorical question there. And the answer is, well, certainly. Now, this can sound strange. This can sound self-deceiving. Um, even um, uh, it's not normal to not be concerned or worry about these things uh, because we're bombarded with the belief that this is all there is. There's life, there's death, and what is in between, that's all there is. We've got to worry about, about this. Um, but if we choose this worldview that we're naturalists, that this is all there is, that this is all that matters, then, then our fate is fixed. Our fate is anxiety, our fate is worry, our fate is frustration, it is fear, it is anger, uh, insecurity, even despair, again, over the daily bread needs of our lives, the daily necessities of, of life. And then things and events will have us by the throat, we'll be at the, at the mercy of, of our circumstances and... Um, but it's easy to be anxious and worry about everyday life, isn't it? Now, that's not a trick question, isn't it? Well, sure it is. Of course it is. It's, it's easy to be anxious about our life in the face of job cuts or the threats of layoffs or in the face of losing business accounts or failing health or in the face of creditors and, or landlords who are seeking back payments or when you've sent out your 50th resume with not a single response. Some would say, darn good time to you know, worry a little bit right there. Yeah, it's easy. It's, it's very easy. So because it's so easy, it is common to humanity. That's why Jesus addresses it here to all of us. So what is He prohibiting? Well, last week we learned He is not prohibiting forethought or preparation for the daily necessities. He is prohibiting anxious thoughts about the daily necessities of our life. And he gives two good reasons. They're on the screen. Take a look at them. He says it's unnecessary and it's unproductive. It's unnecessary to worry about these things. If you know Him and follow Him, uh, it's also unproductive. And he gives an example in verse 26, the birds. He says, look at the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you, aren't you worth much more than they? Now, my radical environmentalist friends would say, well, no. And, and I mean, I'm not slapping. I'm an environmentalist. God, all Christians are environmentalists. He gave us the command to care for cre- creation. Read it in Genesis. Uh, but he, guards, he, he cautions us against the mistake of 
beginning to worship the creation rather than the creator. Now, when those of my, my friends, and I do have friends who pretty much have fallen over on the worship, the creation rather than the creator, and they would say, well, I'm not, you know, I'm not sure you are worth more, more than the birds. Well, take it up with God. He thinks you are. He says you are right here. And uh, God makes sure that the birds of the air have food. Uh, he gives them the ability to find food. Now, I have never noticed a lazy bird. Have you? No, they work pretty hard. They're pretty diligent. They're busy. They work diligently for their food every day. They are not passive. There's not a single bird on the planet with an entitlement mentality. Not one. Not one. And so there's an implication for us here that we're to work hard and we're to work smart and we're to be diligent, not not passive. God gives us the ability to work. In fact, God gives us work not as a curse. He gives us work as a gift. Meaningful work is a gift from God that brings meaning to our life, makes provision for our life, and we're to do it as an, as an act of worship to God, the Scriptures say. And so, uh, but He does give us the ability and He expects us to do so so that we may have the basic necessities of life. And so Christ's argument here is that you are much more important to God than the birds, therefore your worry, while understandable is unnecessary. It's, it is unnecessary. But if we hold to the wrong view of reality, like we talked about last week in the previous few verses in Matthew chapter 6, that this is all there is, There's a, that we are naturalists, that this is all we're going to get, then we treasure our earthly treasures and we focus on the wrong things and we are worried about it. He says we are to work hard, but we're not to worry about these things. Because He will provide for us. He says, it's unnecessary for you to worry. And so Jesus tells us that not only is our worry about our daily bread, enough food, enough water, enough clothing, enough shelter, uh, not only is it un, is it, uh, shouldn't we do that, He says it's unnecessary. And He also says it's unproductive. Look at verse 27. He said, can any of you add a single cubit to his height by worrying? Well, the answer is no. Now, a cubit was a unit of measure, a little bitty unit of measure, kind of like an inch, we might say here, the way we would use it. Uh, in the message translation of this same verse, he says this, has anyone by fussing in front of a mirror ever gotten taller by so much as an inch? No. Now, uh, we got... Um, we got a lot of students in with us. It's Worship Together Weekend, and all of our middle and high school guys and gals are in the services with us. And some of you will remember back, like I remember back when I was in eighth grade and trying to play football, a little dried-up kid, and I'm, I'm eating my mom and dad out of house and home trying to you know, gain an ounce and stand in front of the mirror and trying to wish I could gain a couple of inches so I could play on the basketball team and you know, couldn't do it. And I wish I, I, I wish I could go back to those days now. I mean, I can drive past a buttered biscuit and gain five pounds. Can you? Now, you know, I mean, just good grief. But, uh, but all, of that, all of that wishing you could grow and wishing you could, you know, you, you know, he says, is anybody? No, 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 no. Now, he does say this. He says, you can worry yourself into a shorter life if you want to, but not a longer nor a better 
life. Uh, you, you cannot do that. And so he says, not only does our worry about the daily necessities. Now, again, I'm not talking about... Ma- he doesn't get into major worldwide tragedies. He doesn't get into when we're facing someone's already suffering. He's not talking about suffering here, where you're already suffering from uh, a critical illness, life-threatening illness, or we're suffering major... Th- he's, he's just down to where every human being is. The daily necessities of life. Food, water, clothing, shelter. He, he says it, when we worry in, about these things, it indicates that even those of us who are Christians, for a moment we have forgotten Jesus. We have forgotten the gospel. We have forgotten that our Father is a good, good Father. It's who He is. It's who He is and we are loved by Him. That We are, son, we are the sons, we are the daughters of God and He knows what we need when we need it and He gives us Good, good things. We, we can even forget. When we do, we begin to be anxious and fuss over these things. Now, Jesus doesn't leave it there. He says it's unnecessary, it's unproductive. He said, take a look at the lilies of the field. Look at verse 28 through 30. And why do you worry about clothes? Learn how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon, King Solomon he's speaking of, Not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't He do much more for you? Oh, you of little faith? Now, followers of Jesus listening to Him on the hillside that day didn't worry so much about how good they looked in their clothes like we do in our, in our mostly affluent community, in our mostly affluent country. Uh, so let's try to get into their mindset. These people worried whether they would have clothing at all. So let's, let's, let's get out of our mindset. Let's get back to the people he was saying this to. They, they were... They were worried whether they would have clothing at all, whether they would have enough clothing on them to stay warm, to sleep through the night that was to come. None of them had walk-in closets. None of them had storage units. Uh, None of them changed out their wardrobe when the seasons changed. No, not one. No, 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 no. They worried whether they would have clothing uh, at all. But yet, but yet Jesus goes beyond dealing with mere survival here in His illustration and He assures them that the wild... He said, look around at the, these wildflowers on the side of the mountain here, how beautiful they are. He says, uh, they didn't work hard for their appearance. God, your heavenly Father, decorated those. He said, and, and He referred back to someone they knew well in their history, King Solomon, wealthiest man arguably who ever lived on the planet. And they said, even the wealthiest man who ever lived didn't look as good as these when he was dressed in his finery uh, going to a public appearance as the king of the country. And he said, God cares way more about you than He does the flowers. Way more about you, much more about you, much more than the birds, much more than the flowers. And so how much more so will your good, good heavenly Father 
make sure you have what you need when you need it? Well, again, rhetorical question. The answer is way more. Way, way more. And so then look at verses 31 and 32. So he said, now here, here's the command. Now this is a command, he says. So, so don't worry. But he goes on and he says, don't worry about these daily necessities. Saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? For the idolaters, or some of your translations have, or for the pagans. How many of you for the pagans were run after these things? Or unbelievers, or people who do not know God, or who worship the wrong God, eagerly seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. So let's talk about the idolaters. The idolaters he's referring to was, were anyone on the planet at that time who did not know and understand and worship the, the Lord God Jehovah, God the Father, our Heavenly Father, the God of the Bible. And they, they practiced idol worship, literally, many of them, uh, worshiping gods formed out of stone and, and wood and precious metals. But now Jesus says that that we easily become idolaters or worshipers of idols. Uh, I think it was Martin Luther, the great reformer, who said, our hearts are idol factories. Idol factories. Even those of us who know God, we forget. And so now how do we define an idol? Here's how we define it uh, today for you and me. It's any one, any person or anything or any position that... You and I, you or I are willing to disobey God in order to be or do or have them. So, so here's a question. Are you knowingly, willingly remaining in a state of disobedience to something God has dealt with you about or commands or prohibits in His Word? Are you hanging on to that? You're bowing down to an idol. You, you, you have misplaced the God of the Bible. Then you're, you are, I'm willing to disobey God in order to continue this behavior or to have this person or to do this thing or have this position. That's idol worship today. And we're all tempted almost every day to forget Jesus and pick up an idol. Pick up an idol. And he says, uh, when you do, you're, you're, when you find yourself worrying about the basic necessities of life, you need to stop and do an idol check. Because he says, uh, uh, the, the people who don't know God, he says, look at it. He says, they run frantically after the basic necessities of life. They eagerly seek uh, the, the basic necessities of life. They, they have their thoughts dominated by their stuff. It's their ambition. They fuss over these things. They're always worried about having enough money or enough clothes or enough food or enough shelter. Uh, they place their hope in these things. And then he says, but to you and me, most of us here, but we are not people who do not know him. Most of you here know him. Most of you here know Him. You know God the Father and God the Son, our Lord and Savior Jesus. We are the people who know and love and trust in Jesus Christ, our Lord 
and Savior. And so he says, our Heavenly Father knows that we have need of these necessities. So one of the things that we can do, one a spiritual practice that God teaches in the Bible is to affirm the truth of God, the will of God is revealed in the Scriptures. And so I'm going to recommend that you jot down this little daily affirmation and you put it everywhere and you repeat it often. And it is this, God knows what I need when I need it. Say it with me. God knows what I need when I need it. God knows what I need when I need it. Say, and say it to Him in your prayers every day. Start your day. God, you know what I need when I need it. I don't necessarily. Now, my, that great theologian and philosopher, and I'm not being silly about her, I quote her from time to time, my little Pentecostal grandmother would say to the whole family, now, don't be getting your wants all mixed up with your needs. He doesn't say, God will give me what I want when I need it. He says He'll give me, He knows what I need when I need it. I, I think I know what I want, and he may or may not think we need it. And so here's the deal. Now, only if you know and understand and you are walking in obedience to Jesus, and you have something, I mean, and you want something, but you don't currently have it, you don't need it. I'm just saying. And so he said, so he, he goes to the cure here in verse 33. Look at it. Read it out loud with me on the screen. Here we go. Good voice, deep breath. One, two, three. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. He said, don't worry, but seek. Remember, he, he, he always um, uh, replaces a, a negative or a harmful or even a sinful feeling or emotion with a positive act of obedience. You can choose to seek God and His righteousness. You can choose that. That's, a, that's an action to take. He says, turn your ambition. Seek God, the kingdom of God. That means uh, being in the family of God, following Him, understanding the ways of God, and being rightly related to Him through faith alone in Christ. He said, and all these things will be provided for you as well. And so Dallas Willard in his little book, well, it's not a little book. It's a big book, but I recommend it. Uh, the book is entitled The Divine Conspiracy. You might want to jot that down. Uh, it's, it's a book you kind of need to crawl through, but it's worth the crawl. The Divine Conspiracy by Dallas, just like the city, Willard was his last name. And there I, I, he, he, uh, he explained this this way. I want to read it to you. Ready? Let me read this to you. Willard writes, now as opposed to those who do not know God, he says, by contrast, those who understand Jesus and His Father know that provision has been made for them. Their confidence has been confirmed by their experience. Though they work, they do not worry about things on earth. Instead, they are always seeking first the kingdom. And then he defines it. He says, that is, they place top priority on identifying and involving themselves in what God is doing and in the kind of righteousness that He has and provides. All else is provided. They soon enough have a track record to prove it. 
Now, there are many of you in this room who have a long track record of seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And uh, that proves that God will provide all that you need for this life. Many of you, many of you have, have yeah, just people everywhere. In, in uh, August of 1977, uh, Allison, my wife and I, piled in the car and drove to Fort Worth, Texas to begin training for the ministry at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. And um, our folks had helped us in what little possessions we had. We, and we pooled our money and budgeted, and, and so we, we moved out there. But when we got in, moved into married housing there on Seminary Hill uh, and... Uh, got settled, we realized that we had misjudged the cost of the trip. Anybody ever done that? And uh, we had no money. Like, what do you mean by that, Pastor? I mean, like, no money. I mean, we, were, we spent <laughs> all our money on the move. Now, we had loving, gracious families back east, uh, but we had been hanging on to this verse, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you as well. And uh, we could have called them. She had a job teaching um, in the children's center on the campus, uh, but would not get a paycheck for a couple of weeks. So we had two weeks there. And so we sat down and at the table and read this verse. And we looked up to the Lord and said, well, I guess we're going to see if we actually believe what we've been saying we believe. So some of the... Uh, the couples uh, in married housing welcomed us, you know, brought over a, a few meals, and we packed it. We took what groceries we had back home with us. You know, we had a loaf of bread and some peanut butter, and it started tasting really good. Um, but we got to the end of the first week, and everything was everything was gone. It was Saturday, had a week to go to payday, and uh, there was a knock at the apartment door late that afternoon, and went to the door and there's this nice lady and said she was from the welcome wagon in Fort Worth and said, here, welcome to Fort Worth. And there was this wonderful box full of all kind of goodies and all these kind of things. Uh, but the, my favorite thing in there was this envelope and it was full of um, uh, coupons, full of gift cards uh, for free meals for two to the finest restaurants in Fort Worth, Texas. And so we spent the last week... Fine dining. Glory to God. Yeah. I mean, it was just, he was just way over the top. It got, it, so it, we laughed. It was funny. We had, all, we had all that we needed and more, and we still do. Pray with me. You can trust Him. You can trust Him. Some of you would say, well, well, Pastor, I, how do I get? How do I start? What do I do? I don't know this life you're talking about. Here's how you start. You must do three things. First of all, you must repent of your sins. That means that we acknowledge that we are sinful people in need of a Savior. We can't save ourselves. And we grieve our sins. We're willing to turn from it and turn loose. And we turn to Jesus. We change our mind about Him. Second, we believe 
in Jesus. That means we place our active trust in Him and what He accomplished when He died on the cross to atone for your sin, for my sin, for our sin, because of our sin, in our place. He, he paid the penalty in our place. And we, we trust in Him and we ask Him to apply to us personally what He accomplished when He died on the cross and rose from the dead. And we give ourselves to Him, asking Him to forgive our sins, adopt us into His family, make us citizens in the kingdom of heaven. You do those things. And you'll begin your relationship with Christ. Then there's a third thing. People who've been found by Christ go public with their faith. And we do so, He designed, by being baptized as believers. We are baptized. And so make a plan to be baptized here and to celebrate your Christian faith in Christ. That's how it all begins. Those of us who've been followers of Christ and in the kingdom for a long time, we just need to remember these things and practice them. Lord, thank You for hearing these prayers and making a way for us. Thank You that if we seek first Your kingdom, Your your reign and rule, your supervision over all that we are and have. And your righteousness being rightly related to you through faith alone in Christ alone. That you will care for us. All the practical, our daily bread needs will be provided as well. I pray for my brothers and sisters who suffer from anxiety attacks, bigger issues, I pray for my brothers and sisters here who are in the midst of great times of suffering uh, for grace and peace and strength. But Lord, I pray for the vast majority of us who are always tempted every day just to worry about the basics. We're going to have enough food. We're going to have enough to eat, enough to wear. Not... And I pray that we would find in You deliverance from worry and instead great peace that surpasses all comprehension. Help us to seek You first. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Dogwood Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the message. For more information and other sermons, visit dogwood.church. If you'd like to give to Dogwood Church, you can use your smartphone and text keyword dogwood or click the Give link online. You can now download the Dogwood Church app for Apple and Android devices for podcast, video, and more.